the people that want to buy you are the people that you're trying to disrupt. I heard one time the CEO of that company said, Edgar, I know we bought the disruptor, but you sure are disruptive. Welcome to Fascinating Entrepreneurs. How do people end up becoming an entrepreneur? How do they scale and grow their businesses? How do they plan for profit? Are they in it for life or are they building to exit? These and a myriad of other topics will be discussed to pull back the veil on the wizardry of successful and fascinating entrepreneurs. My book, Relentless, is now available everywhere books can be bought online, including Amazon and barnesandnoble.com. Try your local indie bookstore too, and if they don't have it, they can order it. Just ask them. The reviews are streaming in, and I'm so thankful for the positive feedback, as well as hearing from people that my memoir has impacted them positively. It is not enough to be resilient. You have to be relentless. You can go to therelentlessbook.com for more information. Thank you so much. Edgar Blazona is a modernist American furniture designer and founder of the direct-to-consumer sofa brand, Benchmade Modern. Ed was a high school dropout turned graffiti artist turned serial entrepreneur, my kind of guy. We talk about how he created this brand, what they're focusing on now to grow the brand, and what his day-to-day involvement is as president. Now let's get right into it. When we started the company, there was like hardly anyone doing custom, right? By the inch, by the five inch, whatever. And so our whole goal was to make sofas that were custom for the customer to the inch. We later ended up moving to five inch, but, and then make it in a hurry, right? Like no more waiting around that whole thing. Like I've been to a thousand dinner parties. Oh, I got a sofa. Oh my God, it took so long to get, blah, blah, blah. So that's kind of what I was trying to solve. And how long between ordering and delivery is it typically? What's the average? Typically is about two weeks for manufacturing, right? Pretty quick. And then another two weeks or so for shipping, depending on where it's going. Is it coming out of North Carolina where everything is made in the furniture industry? (laughs) It's coming out of LA and Dallas. Interesting. Two different facilities, yeah. And did you source and build those companies or are they already operating for other furniture design companies? Well, originally I had to build my own factory. I did it in LA. It was kind of close to the Bay Area. And it's kind of the upholstery hub mecca of the West Coast. And then later on, we were acquired by a big giant company one of the companies I was trying to disrupt when I started in the first place and their facilities in Dallas. Okay. Interesting. I just haven't heard of furniture coming out of Dallas. I have for LA also furniture, even though I love it is not my core business. So yeah, you would think North Carolina is pretty much the hub of sofas, but people have kind of moved their factories all over really to find labor and all that. So it's really about getting labor and finding people who can actually help make the product. The next question I have for you is just throwing it way back to when you were quite a bit younger, I would imagine. And what kept you from graduating from high school? Oh my gosh, that's such a loaded question. I made some furniture. I gave it to a store on Friday. Monday, I had $400. It was so much money. It felt like it was like the biggest payday I'd ever had. I mean, it took me forever 
to make this furniture. I had to like learn how to weld and all that. It was a long process and I totally did it wrong. I had the wrong machines, the wrong equipment, but I made some great things and it felt like so much money. And I just had like, I was living on my own. I was going to high school, living on my own, trying to like survive. And I just thought that, well, this is what I'm going to do. And I've literally been doing it ever since I left high school. I'm assuming based on where you went after high school and where you are now, that at some point you got a GED and maybe went to a college. Is that correct? I did get a GED, mainly just to, I got the California proficiency, which was a little bit harder than GED. And I really just did that to prove to my parents that I was fine. I could get out of school. But no, I didn't go to college. I had so many friends that went to college. They got some degree in something. And then they're totally doing something totally different, stuck with a lot of debt and all that. And I basically just started a business. And I started growing this business. And I pivoted along the way multiple times. But really, I continued just making furniture. And then one day, I decided that it was going to be a long road. Like I was never going to get that lake house that I dreamt of, like pushing wood through a saw. And so I closed it down and I made a portfolio. I handed it off to Pottery Barn. And that really was my college. In all honesty, like they basically like taught me mass and big and all that. And so mm-hmm. I Yeah, was, I did I was, wonder how you got a position and went up the ranks at Pottery Barn and Restoration Hardware. I assume that industry to work in manufacturing or on the floor, a college degree is not at all on the required list, but in executive ranks, it probably is. So talk to me about how you moved up through Pottery Barn and Restoration Hardware without that background. Yeah, I started as a technical designer. It was like the only way to get my foot in the door. Okay, I'm a technical designer and I would like draw furniture and all the CADs basically. But then I started thinking, like, how could I get to the factories? So I started pointing things out that were bad or wrong, and I can solve it. And I might have been, like, kind of pointing things out a little bit too much so that I could then go to the factories and solve it. Because in reality, all I wanted to do was get to these factories and do what I could do. And so I kind of became this designer slash the guy that could translate the design on paper into the actual product. And I kind of became the hero. And so I weaved my way through and had a lot of respect. And everyone was like, oh my God, why does he always get to do it? But I did. And I was pretty smart for being so young and naive. And then later on, restoration hardware. And yeah, I had a big time job there. But you got to remember, I've been in the furniture industry for 30 plus years. So in reality, while I'm not the oldest guy in the room, I'm the most experienced. And so that's really helped me kind of maneuver that knowledge of actually knowing furniture. Not that many people do. There's a lot of designers, but not that many people actually know it. And did you think in the back of your mind at both of those organizations that you are, of course, making a living and contributing to them, but really doing research for what would become? Yes. Okay. So 100%. It was (laughs) always my goal. You were like a mole, but for yourself. Yeah. I mean, I was helping them, but I definitely was like, oh, if I wanted to learn about this, I would point something out there. Oh, I can go fix it and that sort of thing. So they paid you to go learn 
what you needed to know to create your own company. My own business. Love Absolutely. it. Yes. Okay. So going back a little bit, but not as far as high school, tell me about modular dwellings and what made you decide to sell that company? Well, I didn't actually sell. I wish I sold that company. I had a non-compete with Pottery Barn. I was spending a lot of time on the planes, like a ton, back and forth to China. And I started drawing these buildings and I wanted to bring modern architecture to people. And I've always been a build it first, draw it later kind of person. I couldn't afford to make a modular home. So I could afford to make these basically sheds. And I started setting these sheds up in various locations. And I would like uh, let people walk in kind of this like guerrilla architecture, like modern place on the corner, come stop by, have a cocktail and feel what modernism feels like as you walk through the door, not just my modern kitchen in my Victorian. So I started like really playing with that. And suddenly I became the shed guy. I was the modern shed guy. There'd be these articles, New York Times, this architect is building this house and that architect and that house. And then Edgar Blazona, the shed guy at the bottom. So it was a fun- How long ago was that? Gosh, that would have been in the 96, seven, somewhere around there, eight. Yeah, it was fun. The, that um, reminds the- me, I would have loved to have, and maybe I could still do this, but on an airplane, my desire would be, I have two brothers, a 27-year-old daughter and my dad. And I was like, okay, I'm going to buy a piece of land in like Benicia. And then I'm going to have like yeah. a modular, small, like dwelling for each person. So we don't have to actually live together. Then like uh-huh. a patio that we could do yoga and present concerts at, and then one dwelling for a recording studio. That's my dream at some point. So those drawings exist somewhere. Someone licensed them, correct? Yeah, I did this at the very end. I basically licensed the drawings to ready-made magazine. And I was like, okay, I'm going to build the simplest building. You can build it yourself. I'm out, but you can go in. It was kind of like my give back. We sold them for $35. They're actually on the internet now. You can get them for free. Ready-made went out of business. And these drawings have, have shown up again. And it's interesting because these buildings are showing up all over the country. Every now and then I'll get an email. Hey, I made this building. Just wanted to show you. It's so cool. I wonder if that will really be my legacy at some point. It, right. I, gosh, I hope not. I well, am. With the AD, to- yeah, with the ADUs being available in the Bay Area, especially, right? They're popping up everywhere in tiny homes. Is like the you were yeah. way ahead of your time. Basically. I was way ahead of that. Yeah, yeah. You were way I was. It's really, really difficult. It's a difficult business model. Like, for instance, your land. You and everybody else wants that exact thing. And then you realize that to have each of those buildings separate, it's like 15 to 20 grand per building. But if you built two of those together on the same thing, you'd probably spend 20 grand for two. Right. So you're getting this economy of scale when you build a house. Right. And people don't realize this small, little, tight little thing is like really expensive to do. (laughs) You're not getting any free square footage kind of thing. Have you ever thought that you should write a book, that you should write the story of your life to help other people learn from your experience? Please go to memoirsherpa.com and learn how I can help you write figure out your publishing path, and market your story, your memoir, to a bestseller status. Okay, 
So what is your day-to-day involvement today in Benchmade Modern? Well, my day-to-day involvement today. I mean, you're the president, but what does that mean? What does that mean? It means that, (laughs) that's a very loaded question. It means that I spend a lot of time in meetings. I do a little bit of designing. I fix problems, a lot of marketing calls. It's funny because as a, I always tell young and coming up furniture designers, we don't actually design furniture. We design furniture for like one second. And then we spend the rest of our time trying to sell that furniture, trying to make it happen. And so there's a lot of marketing and a lot of things that go into following you around the internet and making sure you want to buy a very expensive, beautiful sofa. Is it very expensive? What is the price point and where does it fall into your competitors? I'm at the top. I crown myself the sofa king. I actually make the best sofa online. And I'm not just saying that, like I really stand by that. I, in fact, if you go to well, my you Twitter, would know, right? Yeah, because I take them apart, right? <laughs> I look inside, I call it what's under the hood. Mm-hmm. And so on my Twitter feed, pinned at the very top, it says, okay, sofa guys, let's battle old school style. You send your best stuff and I'll send my best stuff to a writer. And whoever wins gets crowned the sofa king. And I know all those guys follow me, but no one has replied. No one will take the date. Yeah. So I make a really good product and I like the materials. I like what's inside. Most people don't know what's inside their sofa and that's where it fails. And so my motto has always been, why not just spend a little bit more on materials and not get a sofa back in return because it failed. Right. I mean, sofas, it is something that we buy. I mean, you can say with such a positive frame of mind, this is completely polyester filled or this is down filled or whatever. And I'm going to believe it. I'm going to sit on it and I'm going to think yes or no. But really, we don't understand what any of the stuff means and what the quality is and how long it will last. So when you say you have the best sofa, does that mean they're the most comfortable? They're going to last the longest? They are a design that will last forever? What are your parameters? I don't, I mean, look, there's $20,000 sofas. My sofas are about 4,000, three to four to five, Mm -hmm. somewhere in there, Mm -hmm. right? So they're not cheap. There are beautiful, I'm talking about, made with any sort of scale, that sort of thing, right? So Mm -hmm. I'm kind of at the top of the online, guys. I, going back to your question, like I said, we put the best stuff inside. And that's so important because that's what makes it last. So your question is, how long will it last, basically? The sofa will last forever. Foam, on the other hand, does over time break down, down, right? Even the best foam. But if I put the best foam in it, it takes the longest time to basically break down and crumble into sand kind of thing. So normally the fabric will fail or you'll just get so sick of it that we won't even get to that point. Seven to 10 years is pretty good for a sofa these days. Okay, so back to what you do today today. It looks like you have a team of about nine, 10 employees. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to make the assumption that at where you're at with your business, you're really working in the business day to day and not really stepping back as a visionary and the strategist quite yet. And maybe that's something you don't want to do. Oh, I don't know about that. I mean, that's part (laughs) of my, right? Part of my job is to be the visionary. I have a great team that can handle most everything. 
they don't really get me involved unless I need to be involved. I sometimes sit on meetings, sit in on meetings, just like I feel like I'm obligated to. I feel like that's part of the job. But that vision, that like scouting around, trying to figure out what the next trend is, trying to understand things, that is really a good part of my day, for sure. How, are, how is the skinny fat sofa going? That made me laugh out loud. <laughs> that sofa was voted best online sofa two years in a row mm -hmm. by Wirecutter. And that's a big deal for us. That's the New York Times Wirecutter. That's kind of like the thing. And then they ended up changing the levels, the qualification, right? Because basically would win every time. So the Skinny Fat Sofa is our best sofa. It's our best selling sofa, I would say. It's a comfortable sofa. It's cozy, yet it still has design. It's kind of the in-between of being not your big, heavy couch, but still cozy and comfortable, but still right. like a... It's no, not going to bite you when you sit in and try to lean back. Exactly. I'm always looking for that. I do want that in between of incredible comfort and support, but a sleek line. But when you sit back, that you're not like jammed by the frame. Yeah, that's right? hard to find. I always <laughs> tell people, if it looks cozy, it's cozy. If it doesn't look cozy, it's not going to be cozy. Those like real clean line, tight back sofas, they're not cozy. Yeah. I mean, you can sit on it. If you sit up straight and maybe have a bolster pillow behind you, but don't think we call about it a that. conversational sofa. Yeah, right. Okay. So what are you focusing on at Benchmade Modern for growth in the next year? If you had to think of the one or two things you're doubling down on to grow. We are trying to spread our wings in the marketing area, right? We're trying to like move into different methods of marketing, a little more video, a little bit more, maybe some TV commercial kind of thing. I think that's probably our growth, although we're adding more collections, the growth of the brand, right, versus the growth of the company. We have to continue innovating, continue adding more designs and things that are kind of testing the waters with things and find the things that are working and still are on point, on trend, without being overly trendy. What do you think about the commercial spots that a lot of brands are doing that are just, they're scripted, they're long, they're funny, they have a long tail follow. It's really prevalent right now. And I don't know how long it'll last. When you think about your advertising and marketing, do you go there in your mind? Yeah, that all seems so cheesy to me. I'm like, I'm so... They're cheesy, Great. clever. It's kind of like your skinny fat sofa. They're cheesy, clever. And you may be too late for that wave. Probably. And our customer is, we're on the higher end, right? So when we kind of dumb it down into that arena, then it kind of cheapens the brand. We are all about rebellious luxury. So our whole thing is a little bit more not cheesy, right? Not gimmicky. And a little bit more like, what up, modernism? Our voice, our tone is a little bit different. We walk a real fine line because we're still selling these sofas to 70-year-old families and then also 25-year-olds. And so we really have to straddle that. And a lot of times for these older people, they're buying a big ticket item for the first time in their life. And they're trying out this internet thing, that kind of thing. And so we walk a really fine line and I try at all costs not to be cheesy. And do you have a showroom? I don't. So it's buy the sofa, try it out. If you hate it, then what? 
then we'll take it back. We stand by it. Two yeah. weeks, I think the gosh, I don't know the exact terms. I think it's two weeks right now. You're good to go. We'll give you all your money back. And then it kind of falls off. I think it's like 10% after that or something okay. like that. You have a hundred days to love it or not. And we'll take it back. We very rarely get a return for that. That's great. The last thing I want to ask you about, and I asked so many founders this, especially founders that have had businesses before, are you building this company with an exit in mind of any sort? Well, yes. I mean, the, going back, I already sold the company, right? So we built this from the very beginning, venture money, kind of, you're on that track, right? And so that was the goal. And it's an interesting goal because the people that want to buy you are the people that you're trying to disrupt. And so that's a weird thing. I heard one time the the CEO of that company said, Edgar, I know we bought the disruptor, but you sure are disruptive. <laughs> are you going to get removed here soon? Is that? <laughs> <laughs> I might Probably. just get removed. Yeah, I mean, that's the, uh, that's that's the, the goal. goal. <laughs> that's the goal for them. That's the goal for me. And then I'll head off and build another one. Another furniture design company, another prefab, a clothing line, probably accessory line. Probably <laughs> furniture. I'm in deep and this is my life. I'm a furniture guy. For more information, go to the show notes where you're listening to this podcast. Want to know more about me? Go to my website, officialnatashamiller.com. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you loved the show. If you did, please subscribe. Also, if you haven't done so yet, please leave a review where you're listening to this podcast now. I'm Natasha Miller, and you've been listening to Fascinating Entrepreneurs.